All right, Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. And still didn't get the lights. Going down in the dark. <laughs> All right. I have what may seem like a strange question for you this morning. And I feel like I broke it. This is my strange question. Is there anybody here this morning who has ever dealt with either someone who was demon-possessed or have you ever personally had to deal with a demon? Okay. Well, and, and the reason I ask that question is because last week we looked at, as John looked at his vision and, and he saw the, the bottomless chest that was opened up and he had released all of the demons that come up out of that, that bottomless pit, as the Bible calls it, and it says they come out like hordes of, uh, or like a swarm of locusts. There were so many that come out of the pit that it darkened the skies as they come out. Well, once again, this, this week we're going to look at another group of demons that are going to be released upon the world. Um, and so it got me thinking about demons and how many demons are really in the world at, at any given time. And, and many of us, whether we realize it or not, probably deal with people who are demon-possessed in our lives, in our daily lives, whether we know it or not. And I've actually had uh, a couple of occurrences where um, one time I, I picked up a hitchhiker. And um, as we were driving down the road, he was just acting really odd, just really strange. And um, kept saying things that were just way out there. I just, I assumed he was on drugs of some kind. And, and we were driving down through there and he was wanting to go to Sparta. And all the way down through there, he was just really acting strange. And, and I, I began to talk to him about God. And uh, at the time, I was attending uh, the assembly over there. And as I, when he spoke, he, he, he spoke kind of in a low tone. You couldn't hardly understand what he was saying. He was mumbling a lot, and he was going on. But he, he just kind of went on nonstop. And, and uh I said, I told him, I said, you know, I, I said, are you from around here? Yeah, I'm, I'm from around here. And I said, you know, if you get a chance, I said, you ought to come to church sometime over there. And uh, he said, would they let me in? I said, hey, we'll let anybody in but the devil. And he looked at me and he goes, what if I'm the devil? I said, well, I done answered that question. 
So I don't know if the guy was demon-possessed or what, but it was just strange how he just switched. He turned around and he looked at me and he said, what if I'm the devil? I was like, well, I'll be dropping you off at the next stop up here. Uh, and, and I can remember a time my, my pastor, my old pastor Gary, he told a story one time about he picked up a man. It tells you don't pick up hitchhikers. Um, but anyway, he was, he was talking to the guy and, and said that he act, the guy acted normal. He wasn't weird, wasn't doing anything strange. And he, uh, he said all of a sudden the guy looked at him and he goes, you're a preacher, ain't you? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm a preacher. He said, I can smell it. I was like, ooh, what do preachers smell like? <laughs> what is that smell? And then there was a, a situation one time where I personally dealt with, and I've shared this story before, um, but there, were, there was a po- uh, one time in the middle of the night, things were going really good, the church was growing, and, and people were getting saved, and we were having baptisms. I mean, things were going really well. And in the middle of the night, I woke up, and I could feel something on my chest, and I couldn't breathe. I just felt this heavy pressure on my chest, and I just, I couldn't breathe. And, but so, for some reason, I could recognize that it was a, a demonic attack. And so I just began to pray, and I just began to say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. That's all I knew to do. I, just, I kept repeating that, in the name of Jesus. And, and then all of a sudden, it just, it subsided. I could breathe again, and, and uh, it woke my wife up. And she goes, what's going on? Well, my wife's a scaredy cat. So I, I, I was just like, don't worry about it. I said, just, I said, go back to sleep. I said, Everything's fine now. Well, the next day when we got up, she said, what happened last night? I said, okay. So I told her what happened. And she said, when I woke up, I saw it sitting on you. She said it was a silhouette, a large, dark silhouette that was sitting on top of you. And she said all at once it turned and it sat on the edge of the bed and it kind of slumped over like it was defeated. She said, and then it disappeared. That happened to me one other time. But I recognized it the second time and it didn't last as long as the first time. But we have the demonic all around us. We can't see them because we are not seeing with spiritual eyes. I, I talked to a woman one time, and, and some of, of you who have attended this church for years may have been here when this happened. She ta- told me the story about a woman that had showed up at church that was, that was demon-possessed and was actually slithering around on the ground like a snake. And she had a voice like a demon. And the crazy thing about it, now this was, and I don't know how true this is or anything, but this person also told me that about 20-some years later, she showed back up at the church, and she hadn't aged a day. She still looked exactly the same as she did the night demon-possessed. I don't know. But the Bible teaches us that there are demons all around us. And 
As I said, on any given day, I would say we deal with possessed people all the time. As I watch the news and some of our political figures, <laughs> I have no doubts that there are demon-possessed people in this world. But there are a gazillion demons that wreak havoc on this earth. Those that were bound that are bound in the bottomless shaft we read that we read about last week. Today we will see another group that is at the river Euphrates. So Revelations chapter 9, verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to see the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000. <clears> and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. And by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by the plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. So we've made it through the first seven seals, and now we are on, we've made it through five trumpets, and here we are on the sixth trumpet of judgment. And up to this point, all of the scenes that we have seen have been unimaginable, beyond comprehension, beyond what you could even imagine the chaos and the horror that's been going on upon this earth during the day of the Lord. So now the sixth angel steps up and blows his trumpet. And the judgment is released on those that are remaining upon the earth. And he says, I heard a voice. A singular voice that came from the horns upon the altar. Now, we're not told who this voice is, but we can speculate. We can talk about it. We can think it out. It's not unreasonable to think that the voice 
that is heard here is that of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. For he is standing in this area. He was standing there when he took the scroll. So it is not unimaginable to think that the voice that he heard could be Jesus. He is the one that is unleashing the judgments upon the earth. Another possibility is that the angel that we saw in chapter 8 and verse 3 who filled the golden censer with fire and then cast it to the earth, if you remember. So we have that angel standing next to the throne. And then a third option is that this is just totally independent of anything we've seen so far. And it is its own entity. So... It's open to interpretation. Anytime we don't have an exact uh, picture or, or it doesn't tell us who it is, usually it's open for interpretation. And then it says, from the four horns upon the altar. Now, John has already seen this altar twice in his visions. There was, the, and, and this altar is had a shadow of itself upon the earth inside of the tabernacle and inside of the temple, a shadow of what we have in heaven. And if you remember on this altar, incense were burnt, which represented the prayers of the saints that would go up to heaven, go up to Jehovah, and he would receive those. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, we see a description of this altar and its purpose upon the earth. Exodus chapter 30, verse 1 through 10, and it says this, Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense. You shall make it of Achaia wood, and its length shall be a cubit, and its width a cubit, it shall be square, and its height shall be two cubits. You know, and I was thinking, I, I don't know why, as, as I've been looking at the altars and, and, and thinking about the altars that is before the throne of God, I, I always, I, for some reason, I had this vision in my head that this altar was huge, that it was big. But it said it was a cubit squared, which is 18 inches squared, and then twice that high. 36 inches high. You know, that's about the size, that's a little, actually a little bit smaller than a dishwasher. I know because I measured. I'm like, I'm running around the house going, how, much, how big is this thing? But it's just a little bit smaller than a dishwasher. 18 inches squared by 36 inches tall, so three feet tall. It wasn't very big. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its tops, its sides, all around, and its horns, and you shall make a gold molding all around for it. You shall make two gold rings for it under its molding. You shall make them on its two side walls on the opposite sides, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of Achaia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near the Ark of the Testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the Ark of the Testimony, where I will meet you. 
So it is placed at the, at the front of the veil before you went into the Holy of Holies, where the mercy seat was, where, where the representation of God's presence was at. And so they placed it on the outside of the veil before you went in to the Holy of Holies. And it says, Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So every morning when he went in, he put incense upon the altar. Every evening when he went in to trim the lamps, once again, he put more incense upon there. And, and that, once again, represented the prayers that were going up to heaven. And then it says, you shall not offer any strange incense on this altar or burnt offerings or milled offerings, and you shall not pour out a drink offering onto it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. He shall make atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now, I had never seen this before. I don't know if I, not that I had never seen it before, but it never clicked inside of my head what was going on here with this, this altar of prayer, this altar of incense, which represented the prayers that went up to heaven. It says that you are not to make a normal offering upon the altar. It was intended for incense to be burned upon them morning and evening. But I'd never seen before where it said that Aaron once a year during Yom Kippur would come and would take blood and place it upon the horns upon this altar. Why did he do that? Once a year, he would bring the blood, he would place it upon the altar. So, I was talking to somebody one evening, and we were talking about prayer. And this person had had a child that had passed away from cancer and during that time she had a brother who was not a believer was not a Christian who was praying for her and somebody in their ignorance and I will say it was in their ignorance came to him and told him that God did not hear his prayers because he was not a Christian and not that what they told him was incorrect, but that it was kind of inappropriate at the time. He was a young man. He was praying for his sister. He was not a Christian. And they were telling me this story. And I said, so how would you feel if I told you that's what the Bible teaches? Is that the only prayer that God hears from a sinner is a sinner's prayer of forgiveness, of repentance. And they said, I don't believe that. So I pulled up John chapter 9 and verse 31 says this, 
We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. So John 9.31 says that if you are a Christian and you are living a Christian life, that God hears your prayers. But he says we all know that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. And they looked at me and they said, I don't believe that. And I said, it doesn't matter what you believe, that's what it says. John says that God does not hear the prayers of sinners. And so I've always known that this was true. I, I, I knew what John 9.31 says, and I knew this was true, but I never saw it in the description of the incense altar. When the blood was applied to the incense altar once a year, it illustrates the truth that atonement or forgiveness of sin is the only way to access Jehovah. It is the only way you can bring your prayers before God, your petitions before God, your needs before God, and God will hear them as if the blood has been applied to your life. If you are a Christian, it was the same way once a year they brought the blood from the sacrifices and applied it to the altar of prayers, the altar of incense. And God said, if you want me to hear your prayers, the blood has to be applied to your prayers. I was like, I've never seen that before. How many times have I looked at the altar of incense? How many times have I read through that? And I never saw that or either at it never clicked in my head what he was telling us. Communion with God, prayer, worship are impossible with your creator without the blood of Jesus being applied to your life. It is impossible. This past week, I, I, I seen a man who parties nonstop. He is a hardcore drinker. He is a hardcore partier. He just lives life to its fullest. And this last week, I seen him asking for prayer. Prayer requests for a need that he has in his life. And you see that all the time. I have people in my mind that are constantly, they live a life for the devil, and then when trouble comes, they ask for prayer, and they pray that God will meet their needs. And they are only deceiving themselves. It is impossible without the blood being applied. So listen, as we look at the altar... So we've seen it back in Exodus until we see it at our present time. It has progressively changed. Now, when we've seen it in the beginning back in Exodus, it was a, 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 an altar of mercy. 
an altar of prayers that went up to the Father. When we've seen it in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, it was an altar of vengeance, prayers for vengeance. It went from mercy to vengeance. And then in Revelation 8, 8, it went from vengeance to judgment. And then here in verse 13 and 14, once again, it is an altar of vengeance. I'm sorry, an altar of judgment. The time of mercy has expired. In Genesis 6-3, El Nassah, the forgiving God, said, My spirit will not always strive with man forever. It will not. And listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. It says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hmm. And so the voice that is within the altar, within the horns, says, release the angels. Release the four angels. Now, the fact that they are bound tells us that these are demons. There would be no purpose, there would be no reason for an angel, a holy angel, to be bound. So this is speaking of demons. Now, the word that is translated bound here uh, means bound in the past with, con with continuing results. So they were bounded sometime in the past at the river Euphrates, and they are, they are still being bound. Now, the great river Euphrates, why the great river Euphrates? Why would they be bound at the great river? That's odd, don't you think? We've seen the ones that were bound in the, in the bottomless shaft, in the bottomless pit, that makes sense, but why would they be bound at the river Euphrates? And it is a great river. It flows more than 1,700 miles. So it is a great river. So let's think about it. 
it was one of the four rivers that were in the Garden of Eden. So it is one of the original rivers from the very beginning. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 14. So sin began near the Euphrates. The first lie was told. The first murder was told. Or, or the first told murder was done. The first grave was dug. The Tower of Babel was there. This is where the enemies of God will cross for the Battle of Armageddon, is at the Euphrates. You see, even today, that region is almost completely pagan. There is little or no Christian influence near that region. It is very pagan. And so I couldn't think of a better place for the demons to be tired to be bound up. So who are these four demons? Now one commentary and I, th I thought it was very interesting thought and I was almost share this commentary otherwise we have no idea who these four angels are. They thought that these might be the four angels that controlled the four major empires, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece, and Rome. In, in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13, it gives us this idea that these demons are, are ruling in these nations or, or in these uh, um, empires. Daniel is praying to God, praying to Jehovah. He has a prayer. And the prayers are delayed. And when the angel finally shows up and begins to talk with Daniel, he begins to explain why the prayers were delayed. He told him, he said, God received your prayer right away. And he dispatched us right away. But then he begins to explain why. Now listen, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, was withstanding me for 21 days. And then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. So as he was coming to Daniel, he runs into a, a, a demon, the prince of Persia, and they battle for 21 days until Michael shows up and relieves him, and he's able to get away from this demon that rules in Persia. Now listen to verse 20. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. So Daniel gives us this idea that you have these ruling angels that are over these these empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And so the commentator thought this would be four great demons that might be bound in this area because that's where they ruled at. I'm okay with that. It makes sense. It doesn't tell us that, but I think it's a, a, it's a neat idea. Um, now, look at verse 15 with me again. 
And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay a third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and jacinth and brimstone and the heads of the horses were the heads were as heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. And by these three was the third part of the men killed, by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. If you want an, an interesting study, go into Google and pull up Revelations chapter 15 through 19 and click on pictures. There's some interesting artistic ideas of what these creatures look like. Actually quite scary. So if you remember when we was last time when we looked, Death had taken a vacation. Remember, for five months, when the demons were released, no one could die. Many tried to commit suicide. There was no relief. No matter what they did, they could not die during that five-month period. Now, we've talked about this many times. We know that Jehovah God is a God of detail. A God of detail and precision. And once again, we see it displayed here in the scriptures that we're looking at. Did you see what it said? These angels were prepared for this specific time. Very detailed, it said, the time, the hour, the day, the month, and the year. And I would say that it would go so far as to say the minute and the second. That is how precise, that is how uh, uh, detailed our God is. And it says that they will kill one-third of the remaining mankind. One-third. So let's do some math. Let's think about how many people are going to die. So right now, there are 7.6 billion people in the world. And to keep it simple and to be generous... Let's say that 1.6 billion are raptured out. So now we're down to 6 billion people on the earth. Now, during the fourth seal, there was one-fourth of the earth's population killed. One-fourth. So that's 1.5 billion people. So now there's 4.5 billion left. And one-third of those are killed in this plague. That also is 1.5 billion people. So half of the remaining 6 billion people will die in these plagues. So 3 billion people will die. 
3 billion people. So during this COVID, right now we're sitting at a little over a million people, if you believe their statistics. A little over a million people. We're talking 3 billion people will die from these two judgments. Can you imagine? People are freaking out over a million people. Can you imagine three billion? And that doesn't even include the ones that are, are, are killed in the other judgments with the tidal waves and the tsunamis and the, the falling the, uh, meteorites that come out of the sky, the fire and, and every. It doesn't include none of that. So billions and billions of people will be killed. Can you just imagine the problem we will have with burials? The nightmare of dealing with the dead bodies. They will have mass graves like you have never seen before. The stench of death will be all over the world. Diseases. And sickness from these rotting body. And can you imagine the slaughter of 1.5 billion people? What kind of a force it will take? Beyond imagination, this force that comes against them. Now, most of your translations say the number of armies, so it speaks of it as plural. Once again, the, commentary, the commentator believes that this may be speaking of four separate army groups at, with a total of 200 million armies, 200 million people, or 200 million creatures, I'm sorry. And this is interesting because... If you think about this, this is probably an exact number. 200 million creatures. Why do I say it's probably an exact number? Because it didn't say that John counted them. What did it say? It said he heard the number of them. Someone or something told him that there were 200 million of these creatures that were about to be unleashed upon the earth. He said, I heard the number of them was 200 million. This is a totally new group of demons. We've had the demons upon the earth that, that uh, as, as we talked about, mess with people on a daily routine. We had those that released out of the, the endless shaft or the bottomless shaft. This is a totally new group. 200 million of released upon the earth. Now, some believe that this is describing human armies. Armies with tanks, planes, and helicopters, and drones, and all the such. Some think that maybe it's the army of the kings of the east that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. You see, back in 1970, China bragged that they had 200 million soldiers. And so people automatically attached to this verse right here, thinking that this army that would be coming 
would be China that we are uh, of the east that we see in Revelation 16:12. There's a couple of problems with that, and I want to bring those out to you real quick. Uh, number one, no number is given in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. It doesn't tell us the size of the army of the east. So to put a number to that is not necessary. Also, that is during the sixth bowl judgment. This is during the sixth trumpet. This is two totally different times. Number three, could you imagine the logistics of trying to move an army of 200 million all over the world with tanks? Planes and helicopters and drones and ships. 200 million all over the world would be almost impossible. And number four, every horseman has one of these horse-like creatures. Every horseman. Every, so there were 200 million of these creatures. That would be like saying there were 200 million tanks or 200 million helicopters is what John saw. So I think it's best to see this as a 200 million army of demons that are to be released upon the earth. And then he gives us a brief description of the riders. The riders had a breastplate upon them. And the colors that were upon the breastplate, the first color we see is fire. When you see flames on a hot rod, what color are the flames? Kind of a reddish orange. So, so probably the color of fire would be kind of a reddish orange color. Uh, Jacinth is a dark blue or sometimes even a black. And brimstone is a, is a, a pale, sickly yellow kind of a sulfurous yellow. Now, the interesting thing about what we see upon the breastplate, these are the colors that are described in hell, brimstone and fire. And we see that in 14, 10, 19, 20, 20, 10, and 21, 8. And they all speak of fire and brimstone of hell. Now, these horse-like creatures, they are horses of war. Now, they're not literally horses. But this is how John sees them, how he describes them. They have heads like lions. What do lions do? Lions stalk so that they can destroy and slaughter their prey. And John says that they will have three ways that they will kill the people upon this earth. Three ways. First one is to burn with fire. They will incinerate them with flames out of their mouth. They will asphyxiate them with smoke and with the gas of sulfur. Whenever you burn brimstone, it creates a sulfuric gas that will cause you to, to not be able to breathe. And so there will be three things, fire, gas, and smoke that will kill these people, one-third of the remaining people upon the earth. John calls them plagues, which I find very interesting. 
He says they will, they will perish from these plagues. Now, from what John sees in these creatures, they can attack from the front or they can attack from the back. And both ends are deadly. Now, the creatures that we've seen released from the bottomless pit, they had tails like scorpions. And when they would attack people, it would cause great suffering and great pain upon them. These creatures, it says, have tails like serpents. And when they bite, you will die. It will kill you. So these are totally different creatures than what we've seen from the bottomless pit. Now verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, and neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented them of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. It says they would not repent, even with these, these 200 million demons going throughout the world and people are being killed, one-third of the population. It says they still would not repent. Can you imagine? But think about it. They have already gone through so much, and they hardened their heart, and they hardened their heart, and they hardened their heart. And we've seen this with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You can only harden your heart for so long until God says enough is enough, and then he hardens your heart, and you are beyond salvation. And these people had continually hardened their heart. After each plague, after each judgment, they hardened their heart, they hardened their heart, they hardened their heart. And it says they would not repent. John Chapter 12, verse 38 through 40 says, This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. Isaiah said that they had reached a point beyond return. That they had hardened their heart for so long that God hardened their hearts and they were unable to understand or or to see what was going on. It says they did not repent. It says they did not repent from the work of their hands. Now, as you look at that and you hear that phrase throughout Scripture, that talks about idol worship. They would not repent from idol worship. You see, they will worship the beast. They will worship the devil. And when you worship idols, when you worship those fake little idols, there are demons that are involved in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20 says, No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons. 
When they offer to these idols, there are demons that are involved. There are demons who come in and they take over the personality of the God that they're worshiping so that they have signs and wonders. And they keep them connected to these false gods. And you think things are bad now? It says murder will be rampant during this time. It will become the survival of the fittest. Murder will be out of control. Sorceries. Now the word sorceries, we get the word pharmaceutical from it. Drugs. It says that drugs will be out of control. Well, we're already there. But you think it's bad now? Wait until all restraints are pulled back. Then it says immoralities. That word immorality, we get the word pornography from it. Pornea. All sexual sin will be out of control. Adultery. Rape. Pedophilia. Bestiality, everything will go. It will be completely out of control. You know, I heard the other day that California is trying to legalize pedophilia. Can you believe that? That if a child consents, better make sure their dad consents because they will never I better not say it it will be out of control theft can you imagine during this time there will be a short of you think you had problems with toilet paper there will be a shortage of food a shortage of water a shortage of housing, a shortage of clothes, a shortage of medicine. Can you imagine? Theft will just be rampant. People will be, there will be no morals. This is a time like this earth has never seen, nor will ever see again. And as I was studying this, I just thought, and I know I've said this every week, this should put a fire under us. Because there are people that I love who are going to have to go through this if they don't change their ways. And you think this is bad. This isn't even hell. This isn't even the final destination of the evil and the wicked. stand to your feet wow we've made it through six of the trumpets and it only gets worse with the bowls you gotta wonder how much worse could it get 
in a couple weeks. We're going to go hunting up north. So I've I got Brother Ron coming in to fill in for me that Sunday. So you're going to get a one-week break. You better breathe deep because we're going to get right back into the bowls when I get back. Father, thank you for this word. God, I thank you for opening this vision to us. And once again, Father, this vision is not to bring fear into our hearts. It is to put under our feet. God, we should be moving with an urgency as we look at the things that are going on around us, the things that are going on in this world today. God, how much longer can we survive? How much longer can this last before you begin to pour out your judgments upon this earth? God, you know. You know the day. You know the hour. And God, I just pray that for each of us here today, Father, that we will continue to reach out to those that are lost. As we talked about this morning in Sunday school class, God, that we would keep each other and hold each other accountable as believers in Christ. Is that we would love one another enough to confront one another when we are caught up in sin. Father, we love you. And although these studies are, are hard to go through to imagine what this, this old world, Father, and the, the people that we love will go through, I believe it's necessary. Now, Father, as we leave this house, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us peace as we walk out of here, that you would keep our heads lifted high, that you would protect us as we leave here, and that you would pour your blessings out upon your children. And Father, bring us all back once again as we open your word, and we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.